Pico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello, and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. Later in today's program, environmental correspondent Zero Rose attended the second public meeting for the Allen Street Greenway Connector, which will link Madison and Morton Streets in the McDowell Gardens neighborhood. You will have an excerpt from the event held yesterday by Hank Duncan, the city's bicycle and pedestrian coordinator. And now for your environmental reports. This story updates the status of the Canadian fires. Canadian wildfires have relieved 290 megatons of carbon emissions from January to July 2023, more than doubling the previous annual high of 138 megatons of carbon emissions in 2014, according to Copernicus Atmospheric Monitoring Service. The emissions for this year are set to keep rising as fires continue to blaze, with fire season typically spanning from May to October. Canada's wildfire emissions this year make up about 25% of global total emissions from wildfires, Copernicus Atmospheric Monitoring Service reported. Major wildfires are currently burning across the country. According to the Canadian Interagency Forest Fire Centre, there are 1,052 wildfires burning in Canada, with 666 of these fires considered out-of-control burns. The fires are particularly affecting British Columbia and Northwest Territories, and most of Canada's territories have been impacted by wildfires since May. Wildfires are also affecting the Arctic Circle, the service reported. Quote, we have been monitoring the emissions from wildfires right across Canada for three months since the beginning of May, during which time they have continued to increase almost continuously to a level which already is higher than the previous annual total fire emissions for Canada in our data set, end quote. Mark Harrington, senior scientist with the Copernicus Atmospheric Monitoring Service, said in a statement, As fiery emissions from boreal regions typically peak at the end of July and early August, the total is still likely to continue rising for some more weeks and will continue to, we will continue to monitor. The wildfires in Canada have contributed to poor air quality around the country and in the U.S. for months, and by the end of June, Emissions for the first six months of the year had already surpassed the record high, reaching 160 megatons. The 2023 fire season has also hit a record high for the amount of area burned, with over 32 million acres burned, Reuters reported. At the usual estimate, 32 million acres reflects nearly 13 billion trees. Copernicus Atmospheric Service noted that climate change was contributing to conditions that raise the chances of longer fire seasons 
and rapidly increasing surface air temperatures in the Arctic could also be playing a part in record-breaking fires. One thing that is often overlooked by mainstream media is that nearly all of Canada forests are now warm enough to be targeted by beetles. Between fire and beetles, the future of Canadian forests is not bright. The New York Times reports on the reasons for the fires in Hawaii. The fires in Hawaii are shocking to all of us. It's happened in a state defined by its less vegetation, a far cry from the dry landscape normally associated with fire threats. The explanation is as straightforward as it is sobering. As the planet heats up, no place is protected from disasters. The story of this week's blaze arguably began decades ago when Hawaii started experiencing a long-term decline in average annual rainfall. Since 1990, rainfall at selected monitoring sites has been 31% lower in the wet season and 6% lower in the dry season, according to work published in 2015 by researchers at the University of Hawaii and the University of Colorado. There are multiple reasons for that change, according to Abby Frazier, a climatologist at Clark University who has researched Hawaii. One factor is La Nina a weather pattern that has usually led to significant rainfall but began delivering less precipitation beginning in the 1980s. Those weaker La Ninas are not bringing us out of drought, Dr. Fraser said in an interview earlier this year. Another change, as temperatures increase, the clouds over Hawaii are thinner, Dr. Fraser said, and less cloud cover means less precipitation. On top of that, big storms have been moving north over time, delivering a less of the rainfall that they typically bring to the islands. Now for some good news. Native to England, Wales, and Scotland, the Eurasian beaver has was hunted to extinction in the 16th century, according to the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. But they have been slowly returning to England, and conservationists say they are now being reintroduced in the Nene Wetlands Nature Reserve in Northamptonshire, England, for the first time in 400 years. The wetlands are 50 miles northwest of London. Beavers' gnawing behavior has a positive impact on their environment. By cutting back tree stems, homes for birds and insects are created from the regrowth. Quote, this is an exciting and unique opportunity to see this iconic species return to the Nene Valley, bringing back both its natural habitat restoration skills as well as providing an opportunity for the visitors to see beavers in the wild at our most visited reserve. End quote, said Matt Johnson, Wildlife Trust in Northamptonshire, conservation manager in a press release. In 1966, scientists at Camp Century, a now abandoned U.S. military base in the Arctic, drilled deep into the Greenland ice sheet, extracting a cylinder of ice nearly a mile long, along with 12 feet of the frozen sediment that sat beneath it. That was a pretty miraculous engineering feat that has been really hard to repeat, said Andrew Christ, Christ, a geoscientist who recently completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Vermont. The sample was the first deep ice core that scientists had ever collected, and over the decades that followed, the ice became the subject of intense scientific study providing critical clues about the planet's climate history. The same could not be said for the sediment, which was largely overlooked before vanishing completely. Then in 19, 
then in 2017, the sediment was rediscovered in a freezer in Denmark. Now a study of the frozen samples is shedding new light on Greenland's past and perhaps providing an ominous warning for the future. The findings, which were published in Science on Thursday, suggest that roughly 400,000 years ago, the Camp Century site is north in northwestern Eng Greenland was temporarily ice-free. They add to accumulating evidence that Greenland's ice sheet has not been stable for the last 2.5 million years, as scientists once assumed. The big take-home message from this is Greenland is vulnerable, said Paul Bierman, a geoscientist at the University of Vermont and an author of the new study. The ice sheet has melted in the past, and therefore it can melt again. It isn't clear what caused the Greenland ice sheet to to melt 400 years ago. There were huge changes thousands of miles from Greenland. The Rift Valley in East Africa was expanding. The carbon dioxide level was under 350 ppm. For years, many people who wanted electric vehicles, EVs, had to get on a list and wait months for delivery, the result of demand that exceeded supply. This equation is now changing. Automakers have ramped up EV production and dealer lots have gone from a scarcity of options to, in some cases, a glut. The shift to EVs needs to happen quickly if the United States and the world are going to make rapid progress in cutting carbon emissions. But we don't yet know how large the public's appetite is for electric vehicles or whether auto dealers are ready to sell them in large numbers. The stakes and uncertainty can be overwhelming, but there are some encouraging signs. In the first half of 2023, U.S. customers bought 556,707 electric vehicles, which was up 47% from the first half of last year, according to Kelly Blue Book. EV market share was 7.2% of the U.S. market for cars and light trucks, which was up from 5.7% in 2022 and 3.1% in 2021. The Inflation Reduction Act passed by Congress in 2022 provides a federal tax credit of up to $7,500 to use toward an electric vehicle. Indy ranked among least friendly cities for electric vehicles. For the year 2022, Indiana ranked 35th in EV sales. And now Zero Rose goes into the field to catch questions and feedback from community members regarding transportation planning and the design of the West Allen Street Greenway connector. A public meeting was held by Hank Duncan and consultant Brock Ridgeway alongside the Beeline Trail and was attended by Isabel, Isabel Piedmont-Smith of the City Council, Greg Alexander of the Traffic Commission, Paul Ash, a nearby resident, and a handful of citizens interested in new bicycle infrastructure and accessibility for the disabled. And keep in mind that the way planning is going now, uh, transit would be here instead of Auto heaven. Um, they're already in negotiations with Chuck Carney, the owner. Uh, I'm not sure what they'll do with that angle, but um, I don't care for it anyway. So. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it, we'll put it in your yard in place of the uh, planter that got cream. Then somebody will just run in. Yeah, there you go. That'll be the end of it. 
Yeah, I mean, and and I doubt that there would be egress for the for the buses, you know, onto uh, Allen here. Uh, they just wouldn't be room. Uh, there'll still be storage express, but it mm-hmm. won't it won't be as much as before. And we already don't have the uh, the motorcycle shop on the corner of of uh, Walnut and and Allen. And that was one of the things that—that's uh, one of the reasons why the, uh, the traffic island on on Walnut is is a bit odd because it was truncated because they felt like, oh well, we we need to be able to get our semis in and out. Yeah. Anything you can do would help. Yeah, because it's it's dangerous. Well, if the transit center is really moving down here, that'll have much bigger budget. Yeah. Oh, do you think? <laughs> Electric buses and charging stations? Pennies. <laughs> many pennies. All about how many zeros you go behind the number. I have a question. I know it's just going to be rumors because it's not really part of the project, but do you have any news on that, that bridge that's blocked off? I do not. Uh, the last I heard, which is probably what you and everybody else knows, is that it's about a three to five year timeline on that. Um, that's just what I saw on the on the city web page a few months ago. Um, but it's still open to pedestrians and cyclists, just not motor vehicles because of the weight constraints on it. But that's about all I know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the <laughs> county's the county is responsible for it. And as I heard county isn't planning to because it's in the city and the city and the county don't get along well i don't know if that's the reason or if it's just they, they think there wasn't a lot of car traffic i don't know why they got by the way one, one of the things that i thought was brilliant was uh where they've uh, used the, the the scrap limestone uh on either side of, of some of the speed uh, uh pillows Along, you know, especially yeah, uh, this side of, of Rogers on on Allen, and then on uh, Madison, and it turns out that that's when when they cut the limestone out in the quarry. This is what the guy said. When they cut the limestone out in the quarry, that's just something they whack off because it's not it, you know the the slabs are not the dimension that they want. So you know that stuff was really cheap. And we're used to, we're used to seeing limestone in every configuration. I haven't noticed those. Are those to prevent people from driving? Uh huh. From using people's yards as the way to put around the speed push. And I don't think the snow plows are going to hit them. <laughs> I don't know about that. We'll <laughs> see. The snow plows. They'll do it once. Big things all the time. They'll do it once. Huge stone blocks down there on Mark in front of that big yellow house. The old yellow house, and I think the snowplow team took several of those big steps out, and the homeowners had to put them back. Well, if you all have any other questions or comments, we'll be here for a while, so feel free to stick around and talk to us. But otherwise, thanks all so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Have a good day. So, do we explain that? Sure. So, this top dashed line shows the existing ground as it is. The two solid lines are the alternatives. 
the first one essentially draws a straight line from Madison down to Morton and adds in a few landings um, for accessibility. The other one undulates with the ground a little bit more. Um, so a little bit steeper up here, a little bit shallower down here. Um, there are pros and cons with both, but those are the alternatives. I love them both. But uh, even the top one is not ADA. No, not for ADA. That's 55. And what's the difference? something in between 8.4 percent. Lots of Bloomington is not particularly figure out what really the best set of options is that is the most compliant and works for everyone. And then we'll talk about everybody, make sure everybody's okay. So yeah, do this one. So um you said you talked to my insurance. Yes. I know that um in some cases people with lived experience on wheelchairs yeah. um, say that you know they can do a six to ten or so. Yeah. So I'm wondering if um, we can bring it to the council on community accessibility and get some feedback. That I think is the next step in this. Um, the first conversation was just me, Neil, and him sitting in a room and talking about this. Originally, um, this upper design had I think six landings in it. That that is what the ADA standards uh, call for. But talking with him and what's reasonable um that it really isn't reasonable because the more landings you put in the steeper each of the midsections become and there there's a balancing point there and michael recommended three as that point but i think you're right the next step is taking it to, to the cca and seeing what they think because that is that is a large part of the of this project making Next and more accessible because around there, see Greg, and those rain gardens actually work. And you were, oh, my name, yeah, Rock Ridgeway, okay, second department. I am working for the city as a consultant, okay. Yeah, I'm recording for the radio station. Okay. Thank you. Well, eventually, once decisions get made, I will be the one responsible for putting together the construction dollars. For now, we're just kind of helping uh, helping the city make the best decision they can. Thank you, Greg. Get Greg smiling. You you're doing well. He's quite critical. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a tough little nut to crack. Yep. Uh, and so we are talking right through there? Yeah. Right through here. Right there. We have the East Allen neighborhood greenway that goes from here to Bryan Park, west down towards Madison, Patterson. This will be connection to this whole board. And what's the rest of the timeline on punching through there? Uh, punching through here, it's pretty wide open right now. Um, hopefully, and now we're going through the public outreach phase of this connector. And if all goes to plan, it'll go to the Bicycle and Pedestrian Safety Commission later this fall. Uh, if approved, then it'll go back to engineering to really get in the nitty gritty of utilities and finding out um, how to best go about that. Before.
for and is it the right away and everything already acquired the property it's, right. it's always been there oh, yeah there is existing right of way um structure the adjacent property owners thought that they owned it. Yeah, uh, that's no, always the way. The, the Coons family was up there, and they, they had signs up, no trespassing private property. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and Bill, Bill Jordan had his kind of breezeway thing built over it, stuff stacked in there. And he didn't own it. Now, he's, not, he's not stupid, so he knew better. Will be significant utility relocations involved in this. Including the overhead we have to look at. We made sure they surveyed the actual tables, pipes, measured them up so we could begin to compare profiles and see what clearance we would end up with. So, a, a lot of trees. Tentative date on going through as far as at least aspirational? In terms of the Bicycle and Pedestrian Safety Commission. Uh, being actually open for riders. Oh, open for riders. I don't think we have uh, a date on that just yet. Not this calendar year. Get out your crystal ball. <laughs> but possibly next calendar year. Possibly. Depends on a lot of things falling into place the right way at the right time. Is any of the uh, Infrastructure Reduction Act, is any of that? Uh, feeding into this infrastructure reduction act does that feed into any of the funding uh, i mean part of the issue we don't we don't uh, know exactly the timelines we don't know what the funding is i know the administration is putting up signs all over the country saying biden did this in all these republican districts and stuff that are taking credit for the infrastructure that they're doing and so they're putting up signage everywhere on every of these projects <laughs> <laughs> that might uh, say, hey, we'll do you a big fancy sign. Might, it might help expedite. <laughs> yeah, the Republican governors have always been real big. And, oh, yeah, you know, look at what we're doing. Blah, blah, blah. I voted against it before I was for it. <laughs> Except they were all for I-69. I hated it. This is In Nature. I am Juliana Daly, and today's In Nature segment is about an endangered species known as the ruffed grouse. The ruffed grouse is between 15 to 19 and a half inches in size, about the size of an American crow. It is found in forests from the Appalachian Mountains across Canada to Alaska. It is non-migratory. The dappled grayish or reddish ruffed grouse is hard to see, but its drumming on air display is a fixture of many spring forests. The ruffed grouse has a cocky crest and a tail marked by a broad dark band near the tip. Displaying males expose a rich black ruff of neck feathers, giving them their name. You can find them foraging on the forest floor for seeds and insects. The drumming sound comes from them beating their wings while standing on a log. The ruffed grouse is listed as a common bird in steep decline by partners in flight. 
The grouse's immense popularity as a game bird has led to controls on season-length bag limits and area closures, as well as to extensive efforts to improve habitat through management practices that encourage early successional forest. The habitat has declined where forests have matured to fire control and limits on logging. Pesticide use can affect insect populations that chicks rely on as well. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we are all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. Now for some upcoming events. Enjoy a frog talk and hike at Spring Mill State Park on Sunday, August 13th from 11 to 11.30 a.m. Meet the naturalist Jill on the back patio of the Nature Center to learn about amphibians and their calls. Enjoy a program on outdoor survival skills at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, August 12th at 2 p.m. Meet at the Nature Center to learn how to prepare for your next hiking and camping experience. Learn all about sassafras during the Get Sassy with Sassafras program at McCormick's Creek State Park on Tuesday, August 15th at 10.30 a.m. Meet at the Nature Center to learn about its uses and some controversy behind this tasty member of the forest. Sycamore Land Trust is hosting a wildflower walk on Saturday, August 19th from 8 to 10.30 a.m. at the Touch the Earth Natural Area near Columbus, Indiana. Enjoy the prairie habitat on the 10-acre native wildflower meadow with Education Director Mary Wells. Sign up at events at sycamorelandtrust.org. Brown County State Park is hosting an event titled Timber, Understanding the Timber Rattlesnake on Saturday, August 19th from 3 to 4 p.m. in the Nature Center. Get an up-close and personal look at Indiana's most venomous and most misunderstood snake, Learn its history and all about venom. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy, 
Today's news feature was produced by Zero Rose and edited by Noel Herhushki Snyder. Juliana Daly assembled the script, which was edited by Zero Rose. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Kate Young and Noel Herhushki Snyder produced today's show. Kate Young is our engineer. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. And this is Eco Report. <laughs> You've been listening to The Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.